0: Well, it's a real pleasure that I have to be here to speak to you this morning. It's been a long time since I've been here. It's really nice to see everyone here. There's a lot of people here that I don't know, so hopefully we can uh, fix that after after church this morning. As we get started this morning, this is a 1967... Oh, can we get my notes on back there? I'm kind of lost without them. This is a 1967 Morgan plus four that I recently acquired from my grandma. And when we started working on it, the engine was completely locked up. It didn't work at all. And slowly we've been able to fix this and we've, we've gotten it running. But it's got twin SU carburetors on it. And if I asked anybody in here to get up here and give me a step-by-step explanation on how to repair that and fix it and sink it and get it going, how would that make you feel to get up here? Sheila, would you want to get up here? No. <laughs> Dusty? Nope. How does that make you feel? Well, if you didn't know what you were doing, it'd make you feel kind of anxious. It'd make you feel nervous or uh, like that deer in the headlights, that empty sinking feeling pit in the stomach that you get. Terrified. Why? Well, you're unprepared. You've n- you didn't know I was going to ask you to do that. You've probably never even heard of a 67 Morgan. You have no notes to cue you. Because you didn't know I was going to have you do it, you didn't take the time to prepare, the time to study and make notes and a step-by-step instruction. Maybe you've never been in front of a group before. And the fact that you might have to public speak would scare you to death. I don't know. Maybe you don't like talking in front of people. Maybe it's something you haven't ever practiced. Maybe you haven't worked on that and become really good at it. It makes you nervous. There's an actual term for that, and that's glossophobia. Literally translated means tongue fear. Glosso meaning tongue, phobia meaning fear. And it's that, that when you get up in front of a crowd of 50, 100, 150 people, that sinking feeling in your stomach that you get. they did a study back in 2016, and they found out that 74% of Americans are scared to public speak. 74% of Americans have that glossophobia. So if if you're worried, if you're scared to get in front of people and talk, you're not alone. 74% of Americans feel that same way too. And these are some physical symptoms that you might have felt if you've ever had to do this. If you If you took a Uh, communication class or speaking class in in college or something like that and you had to public speak, increased blood pressure, heart rate, increased sweating, stiff neck, dry mouth, cold, clammy hands, shaking hands, shaking legs, you're frozen, you're nauseated, panic attacks even. And I've had pretty much all of that happen at some point in my life as I've had to public speak for various things. And it's no fun when that happens and I'm sure that, that you've had some of that stuff happen before. Here's some mental symptoms, too. You get panicked. You get those anxiety. uh, You get anxious. You get worried or even terrified. I can tell you this can all be dramatically increased. All of these different physical symptoms, all these different mental symptoms can all be dramatically decreased. I think I said increased. And it's never going to go away. It's never going to completely go away, but it can be diminished. And there are numerous ways uh, that that you can study to figure out how to fix these. How? Well, number one, you can be prepared. If you knew I was going to have you get up here and talk on a Morgan and fixing the carburetors, you'd prepare for it. You'd study. You'd get a book. You'd watch YouTube. You'd be prepared. You'd have good notes. You'd be organized. And you'd get comfortable talking in front of other people. You'd practice doing it. This morning, we're going to talk about the need for good teaching. And how that can be fixed or how that can be done and how you can fill that need. Um, The purpose statement pretty much that I've that I've come up with is it's to convince the Christian. It's to convince you that there is a deep desire for for teaching, public teaching, private teaching, and that you can fill that void. You can fill that that spot. And I want to start this morning with something that you might not might not have ever been told before. You are expected to teach. Men, women, were all expected to teach. Let me explain that. Second Timothy 2 verse 24 says, "And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all able to teach patient." It says, "A servant of the Lord must be able to teach. If you're a servant of the Lord, you need to be able to teach. And I don't think he's talking about a pub- public setting necessary here, necessarily here, but you still need to be able to teach. You need to be able to do that, that one-on-one Bible study, that five-part study. Maybe you need to be able to get up here and teach. We all have our specific thing. Um, but right here, the writer's saying a servant of the Lord must be able to teach. You know, Yancey may do the public teaching. Uh, Jordan, she may be doing a five-part study, a private study. Zach and Kat, you may be teaching your daughters. It, it just, everybody has their own specific uh, place that they're going to be fulfilling this need. Ephesians 6, verse 4, it says, And you fathers, do not do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, you need to be able to teach. That's what this verse is saying. Uh, Proverbs 22 talks about parents teaching their, their children. Titus 2, verses uh, 3 and 5, The older women likewise that they that they be reverent in (coughs) in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And so women, here's your example of you need to be teaching the younger women. All of these different things is what you need to be teaching them. So everybody has their role in teaching. And I hope as we go through the study, you'll realize that and that you'll, you'll take that role and, and that you'll, you'll work on it and that you'll do good with it. So why should you teach? Number one, it's to edify the Christian. We're going to go through through three different place, three, three different types of people that we need to be teaching. But number one, it's, uh, the re- number one reason you need to teach is to edify the Christian. That's, your go- that's a goal that we have when we get up on the stage, when we public teach, It's to edify the Christian. It's to edify the people that are sitting in this church and and listening. It's not to practice. It's not to become better at public speaking. But it's to edify the members, to edify the body of Christ. And it's to teach them something that they can work on in their lives. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each one of you has a psalm. Each has a teaching. Each has a tongue. Each has a revelation. Each has an interpretation let all things be done for edification for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged and this is talking about uh, the order in an assembly but he says let all things be done for edification including teaching make sure it's being done for edification so in order for that all in order that all may be all may learn and all may be encouraged this is specifically talking about the assembly but these practices these Uh, This can be applied to our our private teaching, our Bible studies, things like that, too. It's important to edify. Another reason you should teach is to teach the lost. Teach people who haven't believed. Teach people that that haven't found that salvation, that hope that you have. They deserve to hear it. We need to be able to, to spread that to them and teach them, regardless of how anxious that it makes us feel, regardless of how worried we might be. But we need to make sure that we're doing that and teaching the lost. Romans 10 verses 14 and 15 says, How then, how then can they call on one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sinned? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We need to make sure that we're dedicated to doing this, to taking that that message, to taking that gospel. And teaching people that, that haven't heard it, that don't have that same hope that we do, regardless of, of how scary it can be, even at some times. Another reason you should Another reason you should teach is that the next generation, your kids or their kids, they can fall away. Hosea 4, verse 6, "'My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. "'Because you've rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me.'" Because you've forgotten the law of God, I will, I will also forget your children. You know, that, that's a really sad thought. That's a scary thought that, that God can forget his children. But that's what happened here. These people had forgotten about God. They didn't care about God anymore. They hadn't been taught about God, and they forgot about him. And in, in the same way, God forgot about them. On the other hand, another reason we should teach is, we glorify God through our teaching, through our studies that we do with other people, through the study that we do with ourselves, we glorify God through that. 1 Peter 4, verse 11, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as the, with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that's what we should accomplish every time we, we do a study, every time we get up here, every time that we talk to someone, our goal should be that God is glorified in all things. We need to make sure that, that our, our speech, that our study, that it all glorifies Him. One thing, though, is, is good teaching requires work ethic. And it can be really difficult at times. You know, it's hard work when you prepare a sermon like this or when you prepare a study. It takes time. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of time to do that. Um, We did a a teacher training in Plainview uh, a couple months ago, and really the consensus that we came up with, and this is an estimate for the amount of time that you put into a one-hour study, is 20 hours. That's what we agreed on, is that for every one hour that you're going to teach, you need to do about 20 hours of prep time. So one hour of, of a Bible study, you need to, it, it takes a lot of time to get those verses together, to get all of that studied and, and make sure you know what you're talking about. That's a lot of time. It, it's a big time commitment. And so you need to make sure that when you're doing these studies, that you're willing to put the time into it, that you're willing to, to make sure you have your verses lined out, that you have, if you're going to be doing public teaching PowerPoint, and that it's all going to work and all going to look good. But that's a lot of time. Effective teaching is hard work. And all that prep time that you put into studying before you study with someone is hard. And it, it's just like in school, just like you're studying for a test. We need to make sure that we're putting in that, that that effort and that time. One thing, though, we need to realize is that our best is still not that much. No matter what we do, our best is still not that much. Even after you put in 20 hours or 15 hours for putting together a sermon or a Bible study, it's still not that much. Luke 17, verse 10 says, so likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, you say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. We've done what was our duty to do. That's something that God has has told us. We're going to need to be able to teach. We're going to need to be able to study. We need to be ambassadors. We need to make sure we're teaching. It's just our duty. That's what we're, what we need to be doing. Because the world desperately needs to hear the truth. People are dying in their sins. People are living their, their life away without understanding who Christ is and coming to him and obeying him. And we need to make sure that, that we're willing to, sp- to spread that message, to go out and spread the good news and make sure that, that people hear about Jesus Christ. Your audience. So three people that make up your audience. The lost. You know, we are ambassadors. I mentioned that earlier. Kyle mentioned it in his prayer. We're ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a representative sent by God to people. That's what we are. Christ, God, sends us out to reach the lost. We need to make sure that we're willing, that we're ready to go. We have to have the courage to go to the lost. Matthew 28:19, one of the last things that Jesus said before He left this earth, before He left this earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, go to all nations. Go everywhere. Teach to all the lost. Teach to all the world. We need to make sure that that we're willing to do that. Another person that makes up your audience when you're teaching is the erring Christian. Christians that have messed up. People that have fallen away. People that that, that, uh, maybe they've stopped coming to church. We need to... To make sure that we're willing to go and talk to them, go and seek out the erring Christian. James five nineteen through twenty says, "Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins." You know there there are people people that I've known that have wandered away, people that that don't go to church anymore. That don't care about, about Christ anymore. And it's a sad thing. And we need to make sure that we're willing, that we're ready, that we're prepared to go and talk to them and make, sure, make that um, and, and try and bring them back. The last person that makes up your audience is the faithful Christian people that are doing what's right, people that have converted, people that have been baptized, people that are trying to do what's right. Matthew 28, verse 20. Right after what we read just a minute ago, teaching them to observe all things. So once you've converted them, once they believed and have been baptized, you need to teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. People that have become Christians, make sure you're teaching them. Don't just baptize them and then let them go. We need to make sure that we're teaching them to observe everything, making sure that that they understand that we're... um, That we're not just stopping where after they've been baptized, but they continue to learn. Teach them so that they they don't become an erring Christian. Teach them so they don't wander away like we read about a minute ago. So your audience, the lost, the erring Christian, the faithful Christian, those three, when you sum all that up, who does that encompass? Every single person on the face of this this earth fits into those three categories right there. So everyone on this earth is our audience, and we is our audience, and we need to make sure that we're willing to talk to every one of these people in these categories. You can save lives, you can save souls through your teaching and your hard work and your dedication. God can use you. That's what I want to talk about for a little bit. God can use you. I know a lot of people think well. I don't like to public teach, I don't like to, to get in front of people, it just makes me really nervous, and I don't know my Bible that well, so I, I don't think I could, could really do a study very well, There's a lot of people that do a lot better than that, at that than me, and we come up with all these excuses, but God can use you. I want to look at the story of Jonah for just a minute. Most of you probably remember the story of Jonah. Uh, Jonah had a pretty rough start, and he ran away from God. He was, he was scared of what God had asked him to do, and he ran the other way. Chapter 1, God calls, Genev- God calls Jonah, and he says, Run with me to Nineveh. I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to teach these people. I have this mission for you. And, and Nineveh was basically like a modern-day Iraq. It was a scary place. It'd be like God asking you now to go and teach to Isis. That's how bad it was. That's how bad these people in Nineveh were. But Jonah, he runs the other way. He gets on a ship that's going to Tarshish, and he gets in that ship, and they sail the other way, the opposite direction of where Nineveh was. And he goes to the bottom of this boat, and God sends this massive storm, this big storm that's causing all these problems for these people on this ship, and they're scared for their lives. They're scared that they're going to die. And these men knew that he was running from God. They knew that Jonah was running from God. And Jonah knew that, that this, this big storm was the reason that that or he knew that uh, he was, these men were being punished because of the, re, the fact that he was running away from God. And so he asked these men to throw him overboard, and they do that. So, so Jonah just gets tossed into the sea in chapter 2. Uh, this is the story most people remember about Jonah. This big fish comes and swallows him up, and Jonah spends three days, three whole days in the belly of this of this fish. And it, while he's in this fish, he realizes, you know what? God has shown me so much grace, and that it's the least that I can do to go and do what he's asked me to do. It's the least that I can do to go to Nineveh and to talk to these people. And he realizes that he owes his life to God. Chapter 3... Um, Jonah says, okay, Lord, and he gets out and he teaches and he talks to these people in Nineveh. And we're going to read about that here in a minute. But one thing I I want to ask you is why is Jonah now saying yes? Why is Jonah now going and doing what God's asked him to do? He's been running from him up to this point. Why is he now doing what's right, what God's asked him? Well, two people get your yeses in this life. Two people are going to say yes to you. People in authority. When authority bears down on top of you, you're going to do what what they say to do. People that have power over you, you're going to say yes to them. For example, the police department. If you've ever watched live PD or cops or something like that, and you see people, when when authority bears down on them, when they've got their tasers out, people that are powerful or they've got their guns out, people are scared and they're going to do what they're supposed to. They're going to say, yes, sir. And do what they're supposed to another people that another type of person that gets your yes is people you love and I'm going to apologize to Dustin before I do this he's Dustin's my brother in- law so I think this is okay um, This is Dustin <laughs> and most of you know Dustin, and this was him in I think it was two thousand fourteen about six months or so before this picture. <laughs> and you can see what happens when a lady comes into your life, someone that you love. And and I see it all the time. Friends of mine that I've had that that don't shave, that don't really care how they look, when they find a, a lady, someone that they love, someone who they want to marry, their lives change. And now and, and I'm sure you've witnessed it, whenever Jesse asked Dustin to do something, he says, Yes, ma'am. <laughs> whenever <laughs> whenever she asked him to get his water bottle, it's yes, ma'am. Whenever she asked him to do something for Adeline, it's yes, ma'am. So two people get your unreserved yes. People that are in authority and people that you love. And God had Jonah's unreserved yes. God had sent this powerful storm and he sent this fish. And it had swallowed Jonah. So Jonah realized, you know what? God's in charge. God is powerful, and I need to make sure that I listen to him. So for that reason, he had his yes. But then God also had shown Jonah grace. He saved Jonah, and Jonah realized that. And so for that reason, he loved God, and God had his yes because of that. This is a, an artist's depiction of Nineveh. And if you go back and read in the history books and, and and research that kind of stuff, it's really interesting. But Nineveh was very advanced for its time. It was a very advanced place that had this massive library. Um, it was a very evil place, too, a very war-centric uh, city. Uh, it had two walls that were built around it. Some of them were even 100 feet tall at, at some points. So it was this really massive, violent, terrible arrogant city too if you read about it this was a uh, asher the second he was a king of nineveh this is what he wrote with their blood i dyed the mountain red like red wool and the rest of them the ravines and torrents of the mountains mountains swallowed i carried off captives and possessions from them i cut off the head of their fighters and built therewith a tower before their city i burnt their adolescent boys and girls that's who god sent jonah to That's who God said, you know what, they need to be saved. They need to hear what I have to say to them. This is who God sent Jonah to. The point being is God cares about every single person. It doesn't matter what they had done. It didn't matter that they had killed all these people, that they were terrible and arrogant and evil. God cares about every single person. Remember, Jesus said the sick is who need the physician, not the whole And that's the case here. Think about in your life, who's hurting? Who's running away from God? Who doesn't care about church? That's who you need to be going after. That's who desperately needs to be hearing the message uh, that that Christ has for them. Look for people. Seek people out. That's one thing we're commanded to do is to seek. And we need to make sure that we're looking for every opportunity that we have to spread the message uh, that God wants to. Jonah 3, verse 4, this is right after the fish had spit him out up on the the seashore. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the only thing he said. Basically, he says, if you don't repent, you're going to die. 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What happens in the very next verse right after he says that? Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. That's it. That's all Jonah said. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It took the Ninevites eight words to obey what God had said. You know, um, if you go back and read in history again, these people were probably scared. Their research shows that there were two plagues uh, history shows that there were two plagues in this land somewhere right around this time. Two plagues, and then a solar eclipse had just happened somewhere around June 5th in 763 BC. And so these people had probably thought that God was punishing them, punishing them, and they were scared. And then they had also worshipped this fish god. One of the the Ninevites' biggest gods that they worshipped was a fish. And so for God's prophet to be spit out of a fish on the sea and then him to say these words to you probably wrecked their world and scared them and so this was probably the straw that broke the camel's back you know it took the the Ninevites eight words to obey but it only, it took Joan it took Joan over three days and a fish and so you never know the hearts the people that you're talking to you never know their situation you never know the situation of uh, what people are going through what they've been through And so all it took was Jonah, eight words, the point being we never know the situation. God can use you. No matter what the situation you're put into or no matter what the situation they've been in, God can use you. They may may just need you to be there to comfort them. Maybe they've had a death of a loved one. Maybe it's something bigger than that, but we need to make sure that we're willing, that God can use us to reach people, that we have that open, that willing heart Someone that, that, can, that can teach people. You know, God had Jonah's unreserved yes. And I want to ask you this morning, does he have your unreserved yes? When he asked you to go and to meet with the, wid- the widow and talk with her and just visit with her, when he presents you with someone that, that wants to study the Bible, are you willing to do that? Are you ready to do that? Are you going to put in the 20 hours that you have to or however many it is? to make sure you know your Bible, to make sure that you know what you're going to talk to them about. Does he have your unreserved yes, that no matter what it takes, that you're going to do it, that you're going to be willing to do that. Don't worry about what other people think. Jonah had no idea what was going to happen here. He was scared for his life, but he stepped on that on that seashore and said those eight words, and those people repented. That's all it took. And that needs to be our attitude, that regardless of, of the situation, we need to be ready and we need to be, be willing to do what God's asked us. You never know what God can do. Nineveh had massive citywide repentance. The kings repented. Uh, everyone in the city repented from what they had done. And God can change people's lives too, just like that. God is ready to work. God is, is ready to, uh, to fix these people's lives and we need to be there to make sure that we can help them with that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on, cl- on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors. We need to make sure that we're ready to take that job and that we're going to take it seriously and that we're going to go forth and preach the gospel. We need to be willing to teach. final message this morning is we need to be, we, is to realize that you can fill feel, feel the need for good teaching. Make sure you realize that. Put that in your heart this week as you go out, as you talk to other people. Make sure that you're ready, that you're willing, that you're bringing it up at every opportunity that you can, the message of Christ. And maybe you haven't been the ambassador that you should be. Maybe you're, you've been worried, you've been scared. You can fix that through good study getting your notes ready to go and and putting it in your mind that you're going to do it regardless of what of what people think of you that you're going to do it. Maybe that maybe you haven't known God at all and you're ready to make that commitment, you're ready to learn about God and then one day become a, an ambassador for him too. I don't know what your heart is this morning, but we're going to offer an invitation at this point for people that that maybe you've fallen away and you've you've kind of forgotten about your your message that you're supposed to be spreading to other people you've forgotten about the grace that was showed to you and you're ready to to get that back regardless of what what's uh regardless of what we've taught about this morning if the church can help you and can fix something in your life please come forward while we stand and sing